This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Hey everybody, today's guest is Neil Sanderson, songwriter, drummer, and backing vocalist for the Toronto, Canada rock band, Three Days Grace. Together, we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the breakout smash hit single, I Hate Everything About You, taken from their 2003 self-titled debut album. Neil mentioned that the song was written around 4 a.m. and the band's old rehearsal space after a long night of practicing and drinking. It was one of those magic moments where everyone in the room instantly knew that they were onto something. In fact, it was the demo of the song that attracted fierce interest from several major record labels. Neil credits producer Gavin Brown with keeping the band focused and making each part of the song as strong as they could be. I told Neil that his drumming is very inventive and gives the song a swing that without just wouldn't be the same. It was really cool that Neil played a bit of guitar and piano as we comb through the song, showing that he is way more than just the drummer of the band. And this was the first episode of Krista Makes a Podcast where someone mentioned using an Ebo on their recording. Don't know what that is? We'll stick around and find out. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista Makes a Podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista Makes a Podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Well, hey, Neil, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, wh- where are you? Are you in California? No, I am in Canada, actually. I. Uh, oh, you're in Canada. Yeah, okay. I live uh, right pretty much right on Lake Ontario, just about an hour east of Toronto. Okay. So for some reason, I my producer had been sending you times in Pacific times. I thought you were in California. I know you're from Canada, but I thought you were in, in California. Yeah, no, you know, I do a lot of work with guys in California, but but so much of it is done over the internet now. I, I kind of, I, I go down there sometimes and I love it when I do, but uh, yeah, no, I'm up here like winterizing all the things I love right now. <laughs> Before we started rolling here, Neil is sitting in front of a piano and he has his guitar. He, he is a multi-instrumentalist, not just the drummer, of the band he does other stuff but and and that's something that really has intrigued me about your band and not just saying this because we're face to face but you know you bring an element with your drumming to three days grace that i feel really sets the band apart you know you came out in an era almost 20 years ago now the self-titled record i mean i i would call it an explosion of what was known as modern rock then okay and every label was signing every band that sounded like the last band and you know a lot of times and i've talked about it on this show drummers that play other instruments they're they hear different accents and they hear different grooves because they know and they can visualize in their mind the chord changes be it on the piano the guitar and the bass so tell me, how does that play into your drumming when, when, when you're working on the songs with, uh, with the band? I basically started piano when I was really young, um, you know, when I was six, seven years old. And uh, um, I got into uh, the Royal Conservatory sort of program when I was pretty young, which is a lot of cla- learning classical and le- learning a lot of theory and, and really kind of understanding patterns um, on piano. And that kind of like... I guess, you know, those formative years when my brain was still developing, having that in, in my life allowed me to be able to kind of make a mental picture of, of music, of the music and the theory. And that can stretch, you know, be, I think piano is the great gift for being able to bridge 
melody and rhythm together um, so that you could kind of uh, picture picture how the music goes. And after that, kind of got really more interested in uh, in hammering on drums and that. But having that, uh, I think, um, just foundation and listening to bands like, you know, Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, where there's a, there's a lot of negative space. You know, there's a lot of air in between the instruments and they and they leave space for each instrument to flourish and, and have its time in the, in the sun. And, uh, you know, Tool is my favorite band and they do that as well. They kind of leave room for, you know, the different elements of the song and some and it just less is, is really more in that respect. And my band and myself, uh, we've always just really kind of kept our finger on that pulse on letting the things breathe. And I think that that just creates it just makes it sound bigger. It makes it sound more arena rock is when you kind of let stuff look at ACDC. I mean, there's all kinds of space in between that stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned Black Sabbath and, you know, I was going to, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, your drumming, which I was, I was talking about at the top about how I feel it sets it apart. And, you know, a lot of the drummers, the groove drummer, you look at Brad Wilk, who played on the last Black Sabbath record, Brad from, from Rage Against the Machine, who's just fantastic. You know, you're mentioning, uh, you know, Zeppelin and, and, and that space and that groove. I think the original drummer for Korn brought something really interesting to that band. And Danny Carey from Tools, an absolute monster, as, as, as we know. But again, I watched a researching this episode i watched a lot of live videos and you know you play when you have to play but there's also some restraint with your playing and 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 that takes uh that that takes patience and and, and learning your craft yeah and and we write to that too to be you know when we're writing the song we kind of make sure everything has its place and is you know we kind of run it through the test of like does this part serve a purpose is it making the song better or is it just there because you know so we kind of we kind of are minimalist minimalists when it comes to that to uh you know removing parts and kind of streamlining the song um but you know i, I will say that um you know being able to you know in songwriting hook up with the right bunch of guys too that's so so key right where everybody respects you know it's like you can be critical uh in the in the songwriting process without um you know everybody getting their backs up or whatever so lucky there too I've always said that, that I hit the lottery finding the guys that, that I play with in my band. You know, I'm, I'm a good musician, decent singer, but you know, it, it's most bands are the sum of their parts. Yeah. I, I've, I've always, I've always said that as it, it's cool. You mentioned that, you know, I had read online, you can't uh, believe everything you read online, but what originally attracted the interest of several record labels was the song that we're going to break down today. I hate everything about you, which was your breakout single from, from the uh, self-titled record. Uh, which was released, uh, the single was released April 28th, 2003. It preceded the album, uh, which uh, was released on Jive Records on July 22nd of 2003. So I went and listened to the demo, and it's really interesting because there's not too many differences in the demo. <laughs> Was there anything lifted off the demo for the actual recording? Because it sounds like it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, where do you want to start? Because it's, uh, it's, it was, a, you know, it was a, definitely a life-changing uh, event for me. And uh, Yeah, I want to talk about when you, when, you know, do you, do you recall writing the song? Oh, yeah. It was very vivid. It was actually a year before that. So it was around March of two, uh, 2002. And we were in a studio downtown Toronto um, that was run by... 
uh, a dear friend of mine, Michael McCarty, who was president of EMI Publishing Canada at the time. And he had, he had uh, kind of uh, been helping develop us and, you know, signed us to a development deal kind of thing and helped us kind of, you know, get off the ground, meet a producer um, and named Gavin Brown and, uh, and kind of gave us the keys to the studio. So we were just, you know, we'd stay up all night and we weren't sober, you know, and we'd, we just have this studio in downtown Toronto that we could like, you know, hang out in and party in and, you know, mess around some stuff. So we had, we already had, four or five songs uh you know already demoed out and they were you know and and all of those songs made it on the our our first album um but this one particular night you know it was like four o'clock in the morning and we were sitting here going like okay we've got you know we've got great material now is the time to like like do we don't have we, we kept call calling it the dagger straight to the heart we don't have that song yet we don't have that like straight to the dagger straight to the heart like that just kind of hits you and then you know and build out from there and make it interesting from there and so the conversation was you know what's the worst thing you could say to say to somebody like and think about think about who you in your life that you want, would picture <laughs> and it was like i hate you and it's like well more like that's that's kind of not like i i i fucking hate you you know i hate everything about you we're like that that's interesting that's it that is that's interesting and and we're like, but, but it's just, it's all doom, you know? And like, who's, you know, we gotta, we gotta rein the ladies in here at some point was, you know, it's just like, but I still love you. And I'm like, and we were like, you know, that's not really in interesting, you know? Um, but it's like, what, what if we're, what if we start questioning ourselves? You know, I, I hate everything about you. Why, why do I love you? And we were like, there's something really special about that. It's minimalist. It's, it is that dagger to the heart. Que you're questioning yourself. Um, it's very relatable. And so we had, you know this music sitting around that was and i'll kind of demonstrate it for you it's i mean it's it's yeah, the, please, it's the, it's the riff and that i'll get to there but it sounds kind of normal the music but it's really when you break it down it's not normal at all the the riff and the and the um the melody in the chorus it's a lot of dissonance a lot of seconds mm -hmm. and there's tritones in there and um so we kind of had that idea that was shaping up it was like you know sort of like you know heavy rock song sort of with some pop influences with the chord progressions but a lot of weird stuff in and amongst it musically we had that and we had now we had these two lines i hate everything about you why do i love you and uh and we talked about those the dissonant melody like so like you know which is a second which is essentially which isn't exactly the most pleasing thing on the ears when you play it like that but when you play it like and that is actually a tritone. That's the devil's interval. If you break it down, it's right. So, so we're playing a second into, into a tritone. We're singing a second to a tritone, which is like not really normal for, you know, right for rock, you know? So, um, and then Adam just walked in there and, and used those kind of those, those dissonant melodies and sang it over the part that we had. And we were just like, Oh, it was just like, we knew our lives, we kind of knew our lives were going to change. It was really like, and, and, and at like four in the morning in the studio. Well, it's funny. You were, you were talking about those tritones and stuff. It's something that your high school music teacher would tell you that well, that, that isn't right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that's not aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. So if it's, you know, if you kind of listen to it. It's got a lot of dirt in there, um, but when you sing it up higher, it sounds pretty. Suddenly it's like, you know, a 
bird taking off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here you are, four in the morning, you're looking around, and everyone's like, ah, you had that aha moment. You thought, because you know, so many times uh, on this show, Neil, people have said, we had no idea. This song was just another one in the bunch. It just, you know, we buried it number nine out of 14 on the record, and then it became our signature song. But you guys thought there was something there initially. We, we knew, like, and we, you know, we had the riff, and we, had, and we wrote the, you know, we just kind of kept going that night on, on really keeping it simple. And we kind of just wanted to make it conversational, just like, you know, we're lying away, like lying in bed, you know, taking hits of something, you know, and you're just sitting there going like, I fucking hate you, you know, and it's, it's very, it's very like humanist. It's very humanistic. You're just kind of like pointing out a couple things. And then you like, suddenly I realize I'm looking at you going like, I hate you, but why do I love you? I don't get it. And that, and that's pretty much it. And then we, we got to the second verse and we're like, let's just repeat the first verse. Like, let's keep it you know and we're sitting there going can we get away with that we're like you know what if oasis because if you listen to a lot of oasis songs second verse same as the first right (laughs) you know and so we just said yeah let's be minimalist like this we we've got that dagger right to the heart in the chorus so let's not let's not frame it with too much unnecessary information and so we just kept it really concise and kept the train going down the tracks yeah well it's kind of like and there's a lot of times that that your verses uh end up being as big as the choruses sometimes where you and, and again i watch the live videos and everyone's you know uh hands are fist pumping in the air and they're and they're singing the verse parts of this song you mentioned gavin brown he's a uh, fellow canadian he's produced uh, everything from billy talent new kids on the block i found that really interesting the tragically hip lit hoobastank among others and i noticed rich costi i love his mixes he did a couple mixes on this first record one of them being i hate everything about you uh rich's work with jimmy world mastodon weezer among others and just i i love the mix this song still sounds almost 20 years later amazing yeah that, you know and you know what really drove us to rich costi was his mix was audio slave When it came on the radio, I was like, whoa, this sounds like bigger than anything I've heard. And so we looked up. It was Costi, so we're like, let's get him to mix this song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I want to jump into the track. You know, it's three minutes and 51 seconds, and I've said this so many times on this show. Great songs that are arranged really well. You know, it could be a four, five, six minute song. It won't feel that long. And I was really surprised. This, is, this almost clocked in at four minutes. It doesn't feel like it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those. It's it's interesting. Um, and you know, when we get to the bridge, we didn't introduce any sort of conceptual new lyrical idea. It it basically just kind of spreads out uh, the pre-chorus. You know, so it kind of what a depart what a yeah. departure that bridge is though. Yeah, I mean, really, that right there. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of the time musically we try to instill some sort of feeling of hope in the bridges you know and that kind of that that one kind of redeems itself and then kind of hits you over the head again at the end and uh yeah it's it is crazy it's kind of most of our songs are like under three minutes now i don't know why we're we're all we're all getting (laughs) we're all getting more impatient you know well you know we're going to talk about that bridge in a little bit but i you know when i first heard that bridge because it's so different than the rest of the song it works perfectly but i almost thought and i've done this so many times i don't know if you've ever done this neil where i'm like this bridge could be another song in and of itself do you want to waste it just on eight bars of a 
bridge, you know, because it's so different than the rest of the song, but it, but it works magically here. <laughs> we do run into that sometimes. We're like, wow, this part could be its own thing. But um, yeah, but we all, yeah. we also love the notion of like stacking a song full of like just chorus, chorus, chorus. Like that could be a chorus. That could be a chorus. That could be a chorus. Well, let's put them all together. You know, and and you you mm-hmm. he, you hear that in hit in uh, in pop a lot. You know, I you know Justin a lot of like Justin Timberlake. Um, mm-hmm. Some of his songs, like uh, like TKO, for example. I mean, if you listen to that song, it's a pop song, but you could totally make that a killer rock song if you wanted to. Each part, the music doesn't really change that much, but each part it is like could be its own chorus, and it just keeps building, 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 building. And I love songs like that that just keep. It sounds like a. It sounds like a plane taking off, you know. Yeah, Lincoln Park was like that. It's like, what's the chorus? What's the verse? Mm-hmm. You know, Taylor Swift's another one. It's just like, what's the chorus? What's the verse? Well, again, the song's three minutes and fifty-one seconds. It's interesting. There's nine bars off the top before the vocals start. It's stereo guitar playing that main riff hook. Is that an electric panned off left and an acoustic panned right? Uh, that no. So that is um, that's an acoustic. That's an acoustic guitar from like the '40s. Really? Yeah, just mic'd up. And then we used we basically played played that twice, and uh, one of them we just put a put an effect on. Like I think we used like, like a harmonizer or something. Um, yeah, it, it kind of just it kind of gritted it up a little bit, made it a little bit thinner and gritty. I think we nudged one a little bit, so it kind of. You know, ah. feels a little, but, but the riff, like it was it, same kind of thing as what I was talking about before with like dissident notes and stuff. Like it's, it's weird. Like we were at the time we were listening to like in the early 2000s, we were actually listening to some kind of some off the grid stuff a little bit, like sunny day real estate and like, yeah, Caius and like, um, Adam was listening to it a lot of Jeff Buckley, you know, where it's oh, all wow. these, all these crazy voicings and, and like really weird, you know, but, but like, so it's the same kind of thing mm-hmm. with this. I got a guitar here and it can kind of hack through it a little bit, but uh, like, you know, which is pretty simple. But when you get to here, this is again a little more, you know. You know, like, yeah, notes like that, you know, at at radio at the time in the early 2000s with active and alternative, you you didn't hear a lot of songs starting with like the love boat, like chord. <laughs> Exciting and new, uh, but you know. So I think that that's like. I think people kind of you know ears perked up because it was different in, the, in that respect as well. You know, and it's that string bend too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, but it it kind of if you listen to like Sunny Day Real Estate, it's kind of like they have songs that are kind of like that. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we get into verse one. And the first two lines, it's vocals only uh, over those guitars. It's a double verse here. And then the second two lines, uh, it almost sounds, and I'm calling them super processed drums join in for the next two lines. But was that your actual kit that you then processed or that that wasn't a sample, right? No. So basically, um, I think what we did, what we did do is we, we like took, took a chunk of my drumming and looped it to kind of give it that mechanic sort of. Beastie Boys kind of feel, you know, when you mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's tape cut up kind of thing. Um, yeah. But no, what we do a lot of time with that is just take it and then we mute a bunch of the mics. 
So we, we keep a lot of like the room mics on, um, but we, right. we mute a lot of the close mics just to, so it immediately gives it that hall sound. Um, yeah. And then we just like squash it with compression or, um, you know, I, I guess, I don't think, I don't know if sound toys existed 20 years ago, but that kind of, you know, <laughs> now, now you can just do whatever you want to it really uh, with a, uh, with a one knob or something. But um, yeah, yeah, we never really, uh, I always kind of, I want to build any drum loops. I always want to build them from stuff that I played and rather than like, going online and trying to find a cool loop or something to pop into the song. I'm not really into that. Right. And for the listeners, I, I like to keep things sometimes in layman's terms here, Neil. So you had <laughs> sure. mentioned, you, well, you, you had mentioned nudging a little bit ago. And so for everyone listening, nudging is basically he had those guitars at the top of the song and they're kind of lined up and perfect. And if you just take one guitar and you put it a little bit ahead or a little bit behind, it's going to give this playful kind of back and forth. And, and uh, that's what Neil was, was talking about there. Time we lie awake after every hit we take every Every time we lie awake, after every hit we take, every feeling that I get, but I haven't missed you yet. Every roommate kept awake by every sigh and scream we make, all the feelings that I get, but I still don't miss you yet. And I'm not reading the next line because I feel the next line's a pre-chorus. I don't feel that's part of the verse. Sure. Yeah. The next line is the realization of all these of all these thoughts going through your head. Um, so, you know, the individual is saying, is having all of these flashback memories, lying in bed, getting, getting messed up, you know, taking hits and, and uh, you know, fighting or whatever else that is that you're, you know, screaming and, and all of that kind of, kind of stuff and keeping people awake and all of that sort of young sort of love. Um, and we kind of were, we were inspired by the next line, but I haven't missed you yet. It's kind of like the individual is missing that person, <laughs> but we we actually got there's a song by the song is called I ain't missing you at all. Yeah, John Wayne. I believe so. Yeah. I ain't missing you at all. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That song is set up that like they're they're that's tongue in cheek like they are missing you know it's uh -huh. it's setting up it's kind of you're in denial that you're missing that person so that that's kind of, we took that influence for that so it's like you know yeah all, all these nights lying awake and all these times we had for good, better or for worse all the fighting and fucking and you know our, whatever uh, but now I'm I'm good I don't miss you you know uh, and it's kind of that that vibe 
Well, this is great. You know, we're, we're, we've talked about Black Sabbath, Sunny Day Real Estate, and John Waite all in the same episode. <laughs> this is this is going well, Neil. Um, <laughs> when uh, when we get to the line, every roommate kept awake. That's when the full drums, the electricity comes on, and a killer pronounced bass. It's kind of distorted the tone, and it is just massive. And the stereo guitars come in there. Now it doesn't sound. Is the acoustic still going? It almost sounds like an electric comes in there. An electric does does come in, yeah, but uh, but. Okay, the, but the acoustic does uh, still continue on in there. Yeah. Still continue, yeah. yeah. It's, it gets re- it gets really full there, and then on every line, the last three lines, I should say, uh, the guitar on the right, it almost sounds like record scratching, kind of. Oh yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. We were doing a lot of that where we we'd scrape the strings, like mess, make the guitar super affected up, and then scrape the strings, and it was just kind of give like a rock and roll version of like record scratching. We did that a it lot. Sounded, it sounded like on the demo there was record scratching or maybe a sample. Yeah. Yes, no? I think, yeah. But then we redid it with like, you know, uh, Tom Morello style. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that you guys did it for real instead of like having some sample because, you know, record scratching in rock was kind of a, you know, one of those things. Not many bands did it. Late 80s, maybe Beastie Boys. And then it just became just a thing. Yeah. Everybody was doing it. So mm-hmm. it's cool you guys made your own sound there um on the line but i still don't miss you yet a distorted stereo like tremolo guitar comes in and replaces the other guitars uh replaces the acoustic and the electric guitar and it's just it it gets real full there and we get into what i'm calling pre-chorus one And the lyric is only when I stop to think about it. And the vocal here has a different delay and reverb on that line. Mm-hmm. It's really cool from the verses and the tremolo guitars ring out before a really cool drum fill mm-hmm. happens to take us into chorus one, which, you know, I had talked at the top about your drumming and these little tasteful parts, the drum thing you did there, the ba 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 that is a hook, mm. and it happens two more times in the song. I hate everything about you. Why do I love you? I hate everything about you. Why do I love you? Um, I, I always like the idea of like cutting out and having a triplet go into a chorus that there's like there's been no triplets in this song at all, <laughs> you know. So it's just like this random triplet that comes out of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think I remember when we were recording the drums uh, for real. I remember Gavin, the producer, just kind of letting me play time, and he said, "He said just give me a whole bunch of fills." Like, and I remember just I played that one, and he's like. That's a bit obnoxious, but I like it. And so we, we actually took that and flew it into the part. We were like, yeah, it's another part. It, you know, it, it, Again, we put it up to that test. Does it make the song better? And it was like, yes, in this case, it does. It, it really does. And I don't think it's that over the top. I think it's kind of more along the lines of ACDC. It's kind of like a simple thing. But man, it happens two more times exactly how it is because I'm calling it a hook. Yeah. I'm calling it a hook. Yeah, that's why we kept it the same. You know, it's it, it was, yeah. it's its own entity. Yeah. Give me something to take the edge off 
Hey, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Neil Sanderson after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. If you like music and you like podcasts and you like to laugh and you like to learn, you need to immediately subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we dive deep into the story and back catalog of a one hit wonder band or artist. From there, we have a good, healthy discussion as to whether they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit wonder. We have a huge back catalog, and we've done episodes on everything from Don't Worry, Be Happy and the Macarena to King of Wishful Thinking and Cumbersome. I promise you're going to love the show more than Jaquan loved getting tipsy and even more than Bobby Boris Pickett loved making alternate versions of the Monster Match. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the show. Well, chorus one, the lyric is, I hate everything about you. Why do I love you? I hate everything about you. Why do I love you? And I've said this before. I always like questions in lyrics. It makes the listener think. And why do I love you? You know, Three Days Grace is always written about like inner struggle, you know, and, and questioning your behavior. Um, and But also having that hope, you know, in a lot of our other songs that things are going to get better and you're going to find a way through difficult times. We get harmonies on the word love you on line two and on line four, we get a harmony and it's a really cool. It's like, it, it's eerie. It's like, I almost feel like there's a unison one in there as well. Yeah. There's like a, we call the one a goat, a uh, goat boy, <laughs> the one that's really high. <laughs> yeah. When we were soloing it, it sounded ridiculous. It sounded like a super high falsetto goat boy sound. But I remember like um, Gavin pushing Adam to, to make it weirder, like, love you, like that. <laughs> and it was just, it, and then weirder he made it like that. It kind of just sat in there and it, well, stuck out a little bit more. Well, from the live videos, I know you sing. Did you do any backups on this? I didn't on the record on this one. No, I didn't say. Most of the, like, 
for the last 10 years, I've done a lot of the harmonies in the studio. Um, but this one, we were, you know, pretty stark on harmonies back in the day. I think we use a lot more harmonies now than we used to. Well, the, the vocals here in the chorus, and I don't really pick up on it in the rest of the song. Again, we get that different delay vocal treatment on the pre-chorus line, but it sounds like the vocals are doubled here in the chorus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, we do a lot of vocal doubling. And um, um, I, there's probably a low octave in there tucked in, too. We do that a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That low octave is a thing that I learned from Howard Benson, mm-hmm. whom you guys worked with uh, numerous times over the years. Yep. He, he would do that. And the first time he did it, he like did it in, in Pro Tools. You know, he, oh, he yeah. messed with my vocal and he played it back and he's like, can you sing that? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's really weird. He's like, yeah, well, you're not going to hear it. You're just going to feel it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know, yeah. and it really adds that depth and, and, and layer to the vocals. Well, the vocals are doubled here. Stereo guitars are now super distorted and heavy playing syncopated rhythms locked in with that bass guitar. And right out of this, we get a re-intro. Same as the top, slightly overdriven stereo guitars. And on bar four, there's a guitar panned off left that does a cool like like little arpeggio noodle thing. It's great. Yeah, doom, 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 doom. Yeah, yeah. Matt actually plays that live now. Um, that's just like walks up and plays that part. Sometimes in songwriting and production, we kind of uh, again, this is a Howardism, but he calls it kind of giving just a gift, just a just a little bit of an ear candy uh, to just establish. And again, it's just you know uh, um, the whole process of 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 this plane like going down the runway and the wheels eventually leaving the ground. I think just building, even even if it's little subtle parts. Um, just takes the takes the the mind and the ears to a different place and feels like the song is now progressing into and and and, it, and it's a scene change if you will. Well, you know, it sounds like from the beginning you guys knew you had something here, and a lot of times. When you have that, when you get in to record something, it almost becomes effortless. Everything just falls into place. And at, at, up to this point in the song, was it kind of like that? Like you're you know, in there maybe doing some overdubs? Do you ever recall any points of contention with the song? With a lot of other songs? Lots, yes. But um, <laughs> um, Almost every one of our yeah. songs. <laughs> <laughs> this one, you know, I guess the, the biggest, you know, the biggest topic of discussion with this song kind of came later um when we were you know actually recording the record for real and uh, exactly what you picked up on um you know we were we were really making a lot of attempts at uh re-recording that guitar riff um that was that that was like kind of just like done in an instant on that 1940s guitar in that in that little studio at 4 a.m you know and we just couldn't get them you know we felt like sonically and just the way that that the way that it's quirky and you know, naked in a way. Um, we kind of captured lightning in a bottle that night and recognized that. So we all sort of ended up agreeing, like, let's just use that. <laughs> let's not try to re- recreate it. I love those stories of bands. You've, I've, I've heard that before. And it's just like, yeah, we spent a full day or two trying to replicate what we just didn't even think about mm-hmm. at four in the morning. We just laid this thing down. And then finally, someone had that moment of you know what, we just need to fly this in and make it work. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a process, you know, um, not for lack of effort. <laughs> well, you talked about a little bit ago about verse two, and the lyric is exactly the same. Every time we lie awake After
single verse. We're not getting a double verse here. Every time we lie awake, after every hit we take, every feeling that I get, but I haven't missed you yet. And did you have the conversation uh, amongst the guys like, hey, maybe we should change this? Or everyone's like unanimous that this should stay the same. We kept going back to today is going to be the day when I throw it back to you. <laughs> By now, you yeah. should have somehow realize what you got to do. And he changes like, you know, one word. I don't believe that anybody like it's like. If they can do that, we can do this. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, again, I think it was the right call. I think that especially watching those live videos, this part is just as integral as, as the choruses. Again, the music pretty much the same as verse one, except the stereo guitars are now, they sound more overdriven to me here. And maybe they were mixed a little louder or a little hotter. But the, there's like this high-pitched single-note guitar humming in the background. It's, it's more like an overtone. Almost sounds like a keyboard uh, there. You know what I'm talking about? Take every feeling that I get But I haven't missed you yet Yeah, I th I'm pretty sure that's an Ebo. Um, and really, yeah. So, you know, for people that don't know, Ebo is a little device, battery powered device you put on, like you, you resonate on the string of a guitar and it's got, it, it's basically vibrating at a really high frequency and it inherently makes the string vibrate at that frequency. And so you can kind of create this really haunting, um, ominous sound, uh, that you can, you know, play different notes on. Uh, so we used a lot, Ebo a lot and stuff, uh, which, you know, again, again, it's kind of in a way it's, uh, it's a different approach than just like pulling up a keyboard and getting a keyboard sound. It's like, you're kind of doing it with strings and gear. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a single note, like maybe with some delay or flange, like really high up on the neck and kind of swirling around, but I've never used an Ebo. That's, that's interesting. Whose idea was that? Did Gavin uh, Brown, the producer? Bring yeah, it? yeah, Gavin was a big fan of the Ebo. And, uh, you know, um, if we did use keyboards on that first record, what we normally used was, it was actually, <laughs> giving away a secret here, um, is, uh, is a Wurlitzer, a Wurlitzer. And then it's what we have this, there's a specific pedal called the Boss Ensemble, and it's vintage. It's big, pretty hard to find. Well, I mean, you can find them online, but they're fairly rare. And, uh, it's a it's a chorus pedal, but what what we do we we didn't use the chorus feature on the pedal. All we used is the overdrive on it because it's got this big fat overdrive, um, and so basically we run the Wurlitzer through this Boss on chorus ensemble pedal, crank the overdrive on it, and we'd have this really heavy sound that's a whirly. And uh, a lot of that first record we layered underneath the heavy guitars. Yeah, this this driven overdriven Wurlitzer. And, uh, and it kind of made the guitars pop a little bit. And I think that the record stands out, uh, you know, for that reason too, you know, um, cause we just had a lot of that going on in the background. My band worked with Rob Cavallo years ago, a uh, Green Day's producer, and and Rob talked a lot about what you just were mentioning, and Howard Benson is from that school too, and they were pointing out, you know, like uh, uh, songs like uh, Baba O'Reilly from The Who, those big chords, those guitar chords, they're mm -hmm. all ghosted with these piano notes, a lot yeah. of times organ behind it, and it really, it really fills stuff out. I also oh, yeah. noticed here on, on verse two that the record scratching uh, panned off right is more frequent, and it's a little bit louder here, yeah. so kind of bringing up those dynamics. Yeah, just kind of moving moving things around, you know. It's uh, moving the puzzle pieces around to um, make it feel like uh, an original moment in time. Well, pre-chorus two is the same lyric, only when I stop to think about it, and we get that drum hook again. 
get that same fill uh, to set up chorus number two. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And that drum part uh, is perfect. is identical to chorus one lyrically we get those cool harmonies on love you again before we get into the bridge which is just this is a whole complete sonic departure you know a different thing that i talked about a little bit ago about this sounds like a song within a song this part it just takes you someplace else so that last chorus just really hits How did this part come about? Well, it's it's kind of like... I mean, it's just kind of, it, it sounds vulnerable, like, just because of the music. You know, it's kind of pretty. Yeah. You know, it's, and it just, it, it actually throws it, lyrically throws it back at the other person, like, do you, like, do you think about me like this too? Like, are we on the same boat? Are we, you know, it, it's kind of this tragic, you know, love story, I guess. So, but finally at the end of the ver at the end of the bridge, he throws it back and goes, like, when you think about our situation and what we were, what we are today, like, are, are do you feel like, like you hate me too? Is it, the, is this feeling mutual, you know? So it's, it's kind of uh yeah, it's humanistic. I like the part because it's uplifting, but there's a, there's a something mournful about it too, almost. Yeah. Again, it's, it's bringing a, it's bringing in another person into the conversation, you know? So it just feels like there's, you're, fly on the wall witnessing two people again not a, not a lot of harmonies in this song they're really only on the love yous was there any talk or chatter about putting some harmonies in this bridge part if there was if there was anywhere to do it it would have been here um no we, we decided to just do it with a ringing guitar that's kind of just playing eighth notes um over top yes. in there I, I think you know adam's voice sounds really rich in there too so um, yeah, you know, we, we, we probably had the, it's, it was a while ago, but I'm, I'm sure that we kind of had the less is more approach. Well, the vocals are definitely doubled here. You can definitely hear it. I think it's great. I like how they're loud, both doubles. The drums go to an almost tribal feel and the placement of the hi-hat here is awesome <laughs> yeah. where the, where they're yeah. not at. Right. Well, a lot, a lot of that is, uh, and like other fills that I kind of end up doing and how I move around the drums is affected by the fact that I'm actually left-handed, but I'm right-footed. So I play, Whoa. so I play left-handed on a right-handed drum kit. That's just how I learned since I was a kid. That's why it looked weird when I was watching live videos. So <laughs> yeah. something, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have my ride symbol on my left. That's the only difference. Um, but I, but I play open-handed, um, which is, it's kind of the official name for it. A lot of, you know, there was a book written about it. It's just guys that basically want to play their snare drum with their right hand which just always made sense to me because 
you know, the snare is the backbone, it's the backbeat. Um, it's kind of the snare is kind of what makes everybody want to dance and move their head, you know, because it's the back, it's the backbeat. It's responsible for, and I always just like the idea of playing the backbeat with my strong arm, you know, just yeah. like, yeah. uh, instead of crossing my arms. And, um, so, so that, where that hi hat is, is just kind of me going around the toms and trying to play, find a place for my left hand. <laughs> That's where it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I got to tell you, your, your drumming has really brought a lot to this song. You know, if you just had someone that wasn't, you know, placing the parts again, that, that hi-hat, where it's not at in this bridge is, is just, it's genius. The stereo guitars are now octaves that happen and with the bass guitar. And then there's, was this the guitar you talked about a moment ago? It sounds like there's one single guitar panned off left. It's like strumming single chords. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I guess they're they are playing octaves, aren't they? I guess they're moving. Yeah, yeah I think mm -hmm. that's what I was talking about. Yeah, I guess it's it's uh, eighth note octaves kind of going. Yeah, and, right. And, and then on the other side are just like whole notes. Yeah. Well, coming out of the bridge, we get four bars of just that clean acoustic guitar, and then right at the end of it, we get the drum hook again, which sets up the chorus. You know, I, I know I keep talking about this, this drum thing, but it, it really is. It, it's what, you know, I, I can't imagine this song without it. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we just kind of, when we got to this point in the song, we were like, let's just land, let's just land. We don't need to. You know, we, we've engaged and compelled people to listen this far. Let's just uh, <laughs> let's just finish it out. Yeah, you're also a player, okay? Did was there any thought of? But yeah, I could really do a crazy fill into chorus three, or or did you all just decide, hey, this is what it is? Yeah, no. Back in the day, when we were kind of we we were sort of um, we believed in kind of simplifying in the studio and then reserving the live show to add part to add like stuff so what you know what i play live is i i you know i that's where i add a lot of flourish stuff i mean the new record is, is a lot busier drum wise but back in the day gavin was a big believer of just you know three chords in the truth and not you don't need to put on a drum clinic every song you know what i mean that's impressive that you had that restraint as a younger musician not a lot of younger musicians do yeah you know this is my big record i'm gonna show you i can play yeah i i I think Gavin held the cards a little bit then. We were pretty green and he was the producer and he was like, you know, bit busy's not always better. <laughs> yeah, good good for you for taking that uh, you know, that that direction. Well, chorus 3. Uh, I like this. There's a one word change here. It's I hate everything about you. Why do I love you? You hate everything about me. Why do you love me? The you. 
Why the change there on that on that lyric? Um, well, I think it's just kind of it continues the thought of just that little twist in the bridge when it says, "Do you think the same way that I do about like how we're like trouble for each other, but we're still, you know, still love each other?" And so I think he's he or she is at that point putting it out there and kind of just like asking the question, you know, kind of just questioning the entire relationship that sounds pretty, uh, you know, whether toxic or doomed or uh, tragic or fateful, whatever. What I love about chorus three is that it's not just like, oh, okay, we're going to double the chorus or triple it. The next couple lines, I'm going to read everything, but the next four lines, there's a turnaround here. The chord progression changes as well as the feel, the staccato, you know, junts that happen Mm -hmm. are a little bit different with the stereo guitars and the bass. And uh, the lyric is, I hate, you hate, I hate you love me with a harmony on love me i hate everything about you why do i comes back to i why do i love you with a harmony on love you and on the last two lines here i hate everything about you it's back to the regular staccato strumming pattern and progression uh so it just diverts on those those four lines uh previous to it at the very end it just ends on this big distorted bass note Mm -hmm. it's just you know, kind of puts an exclamation point on everything. Yeah, yeah. We thought that was just a different way to end a song. Just like, uh, you know, instead of having a big crash and ah, like a big, you know, ta-da moment, we were just like, and the, you know, the bass has that really distorted sound and we just, the band cut out and the bass just ran out. I think that was just a happy accident. We're like, that's cool, that's different. You know, we're always just trying to find something, even if it's just a little minutia, something that's just a tiny bit different and put, put a bunch of that stuff together, you know, and, 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 the, and the craft is truly to try to take all those different little nuances and make it feel from a distance, like concise and like an earworm. Um, but without, you know, without it being just like, you know, normal or generic or whatever, we always try to find those, the little dichotomy that can just weird it out enough that, uh, when you, when you dive in deep like we are right now, you can kind of uncover them. Well, I got to hand it to you guys. You know, this song, it sounds like it could be released today and it wouldn't sound out of place on the radio. The production, everything about it. It's, it, it's fat. It sounds great. You guys hit it out of the park and, and, and you should be proud of it. Thanks very much, man. I really appreciate it. It was, uh, you know, it, it was the moment my life changed. Um, you know, it, it, uh, we had that demo done within a couple of days. And the guy working with us, uh, he, he basically said, well, you guys did it. You know, he basically flew down to New York City and had the meetings and we had, you know, it, uh, my life changed. Uh, we had to move to downtown Toronto because we were getting all these uh, labels coming up to see us. And there was a, a bidding war from record labels. And I was, I had just graduated from college for like electrical engineering <laughs> and like, <laughs> and uh, you know, and yeah, it was a whirlwind and, and like, you know, my life changed forever that that night. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, congratulations. And before we break, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? What, what's going on with you guys? Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're hitting the road really hard right now. We just had an epic six and a half week American tour, uh, which was just great. It's so great to see everybody back. And the, uh, there's an epic energy, like it's electric in, in the concert uh, halls and stuff. Um, and so we, we the, following that, we did a, a big uh, European tour. Um, we have a new, uh, we, we filmed a video for our new single, I am the weapon. Uh, we filmed it in, in Budapest, Hungary. Um, and it's coming out in a matter of days and, uh, I'm about to get on a plane on Monday and fly to the other side of Canada and start a Canadian tour. Uh, so we're just really in uh, heavy touring mode. 
Um, and uh, and when that when I'm not busy with that, I uh, I'm a partner in a, in a record label, Judge and Jury Records, uh, with Howard Benson, and we are. Um, you know, we've got we've got uh, lots of stuff we've been co-producing together, doing some metal. Um, you know, we've got a st- song out right now, a star set breaking Benjamin. Um, so, yeah, between that and Three Days Grace, uh, it, it keeps me busy, but it's yeah, it still doesn't feel like work. It's it's my passion to this day, you know. Right on. Well, hey, man, with everything you have going on, I really appreciate you sitting in today. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Hey everybody, I hope you all enjoyed that episode with Neil Sanderson. The song you were just hearing is Three Days Grace, I Am The Weapon, which is the song that Neil just mentioned there at the end of the conversation. We gotta take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but we'll be right back with lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Rail Splitter, a DC-based punk rock band inspired by the gruff yet melodic sounds of Leatherface and Jawbreaker. The band consists of Drew Butler on lead guitar, Christian Golden on lead vocals and guitar, Hampton Mayer on bass and background vocals, and Billy Marr on drums and backing vocals. Here's a snippet of their song, Rapid City Sister. The Rap with Chris and Chris. Chris, before we recorded this episode, I expected to start this rap with talking about songwriting from a drummer's perspective. But in this situation, I felt like Neil's like a Dave Grohl kind of guy where, yeah, he's an awesome drummer, but he's way more than that. Mm -hmm. You know, just watching him sit down at the piano and pick up a guitar, it's like a guy who plays everything who just happens to be the drummer of this band. Yeah, you know, I when Howard, I had asked Howard Benson if he you know, could get me a contact for Three Days Grace, and Howard said, yeah, I'll get you hooked up with Neil, the drummer. And I'm thinking, okay, did, did he write the songs? And Howard's like, oh, yeah, he just made it sound like, yeah, yeah, he, he's your guy. And, you know, researching, it's like, okay, yeah, he seems to be a, a, a multi-instrumentalist. And then sitting down right before we even got rolling, he's got the piano and the guitar right there. It was really cool. I like that you guys got into the talk of tritones and that feeling, what is it? What, what's that called? The Devils? Didn't, didn't we talk recently about how Black Sabbath used the tritones mm-hmm. and stuff? And it was like, what do you call that? The Devils something? Yeah, the, the, what the, is the it? Devils triad. Yeah, the Devils. Okay, right, right. Yeah. And 
that sort of sound when he was playing that. You know what it kind of reminded me of? Kind of from the same era as this song. I feel like there's some Incubus songs that use that. Yes, it's cut from the same cloth, exactly. You know, the the triad, the the Devil's uh, Triad, whatever it was called, that back in medieval days, you couldn't play that like in church. They wouldn't they, they wouldn't <laughs> let you. Okay, it, it, it was it was looked at as like you know you don't it, it's a no no you don't do that you know. I mean it's it does sound kind of evil. Slayer made a career out of it, <laughs> right? And that's what's wild about music is there's certain sounds. I wonder, man, if we didn't have any sort of preconceived notions about the way things sound and the way they make us feel if we had nothing if we would still feel that sort of (laughs) ominousness of those chords would we still feel that i think maybe we would just inherently yeah well it's kind of like i've always given the example of you know watching the scariest horror flick with the sound of muted you know it's just Uh you know sound just does something it just really brings things to life and it's a really interesting song you know I, i i was careful with my choice of words at the top when i was you know first started talking to neil but you know i said there there was a lot of modern rock bands coming out around the time that these guys did it was kind of in between new metal and it was it was kind of like the, the the next thing things were still detuned and 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 whatnot it had that modern rock i guess uh, sound if, if, if you want to call it that but I, I always felt like these guys were a little bit set apart and a big part of it with this song is neil's drumming it's not just your 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 cut and paste drumming there's there's a lot going on here Hey, one thing I don't think you touched on too much in this episode, but we have to mention, this song is enormous. This song is so huge. It's a little bit removed from, like, whatever, our punk rock scene, especially at that time. You've talked a lot about, like, being in the van in this era a lot, or, you know, bus for you guys, Mm -hmm. van for me. But being kind of removed from what is a little bit more mainstream and popular. But when I look at this... Dude, on YouTube, like the video for this was like close to 400 million plays or something. I was like, holy shit. Oh, <laughs> this yeah. This is gigantic. Yeah, no, yeah. They're, they're they're a massive band. And yeah, this song was was huge. I remember it when it was on, on rock radio. It was everywhere. And, you know, now today you're still hearing it on, I don't even know what you would call it, maybe a classic uh, alternative rock or something, but you'll hear this song sandwiched between Nirvana and the Chili Peppers. It's just part of, part of it. Absolutely. I hear this song, If the X is on in Pittsburgh, uh, yeah, you still hear this song probably in regular rotation. Yeah, and and these guys have had numerous hits since. I mean, oh, yeah. big, big songs. But I'm glad he wanted to talk about this track. It was their breakout song, and, and uh, there was a lot here. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I, I love that <laughs> that's the second time that John Waits... I ain't missing you at all or whatever that song that song has been brought up you remember who brought it up last time oh gosh who was it I uh I know who it is <laughs> I don't remember it wasn't Mastodon was it no no it was Brendan from Weedus brought ah, it up. that's right that's right <laughs> because he like referenced that song and then something completely on the <laughs> other side that was like it was like ACDC or something like what he was going for in the mix of Teenage Dirtbag I, I remembered that instantly I love that song too John Waite you, and you brought up Holly Knight at one point uh, maybe you brought her up after we were off mic but she she wrote a John Waite song at some point too everything comes around man yeah no I, 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 yeah, if, we, if we keep doing this podcast 
long enough, it's like the you know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. We're, everyone's going to know everybody, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, hey, I was surprised that you said you never used an Ebo. No. You've never used an Ebo before? Uh-uh. I did not. It's funny. It's funny that we used one on a Punchline album in 2003. Ebos must have been really hot in 2003 or something yeah. because the, the album we recorded in 2003, Action, the one we recorded with Sean O'Keefe, we used an Ebo. And uh, that was the first time I'd ever even seen one. That was my introduction to it. Even though they've been around since 1969. I looked it up. They've been around forever, but that's the first time I was ever exposed to one. Hey, and one other thing I thought was cool in this episode was the talk, because I've definitely experienced this a lot of times in my own bands, where there's like one small part that happens in a song, (laughs) and you're like, that could be an entire song itself. If you looped that cool part, that could be a whole other song, and sometimes it feels like a waste to (laughs) use it for only like four or eight bars of a song, but then it's like, ah, it's in there. It's cool. We can't take it out. I thought that was a, a cool thing to bring up to him. You know? Yeah. This bridge part could have been like a, a, a big ballad, I think for these guys, you know, mm-hmm. it kind of has that quality about it, but it was a, a, a great departure. I, I love where the bridge goes. It's completely left of everything else that's going on here, but it, you know, it all ties back in with that uh, reintro of that guitar part and Neil's drum hook, which uh, again, I think they had some, restraint as young musicians to be able to say hey we're not you know because he's a player he could play a lot of stuff and he's just like nope that's the drum fill it's three times it's the exact same thing we're not messing with it right yeah i mean that's probably what a great producer can do with a young band dude i know you've seen i've seen it (laughs) i've seen it so many times countless times where you're playing with either a young band or you know a band who obviously has had no guidance where everyone all it'll be a four-piece band every member is just trying to show off the entire time the bass players overplay and the drummers overplay and everyone wants to be travis barker i remember that especially 15 or 20 years ago every local band the drummer was dressed like travis barker and trying to play like travis barker just overplaying and to have a producer be able to say like yo chill out (laughs) you know think about the song don't just be thinking about yourself you know i think that's important to a great song absolutely and you know what else is important chris uh that would that would be the after party podcast the podcast that we do for our supporting cast how did you know jeez i just know these kind of things man man Man. i'm I'm gonna stop even trying to trick you anymore well Mm -mm. i'll tell you what tell tell the listeners what it's about so our supporting cast it's basically i say this every week It's kind of like a Patreon, basically the same thing. If you go to ChrisDemakes.com and sign up for the cost of buying me and Chris a coffee or a beer once a month, you'll get a bonus episode every week, plus a giant back catalog of bonus episodes, plus, and most importantly, you'll be supporting the podcast that you love. If you want to help us continue making this podcast, which we love doing, but does require a lot of effort and time (laughs) from Chris and I, then uh, your 5 or $10 per month goes a long way in helping us continue to make this pod. That's right. We appreciate each and every one of you guys out there listening. You are who makes us successful. And success for us is continuing to get killer guests. And mm-hmm. we like to talk about our killer guests in a great place to talk about that. And a whole plethora of other music-related stuff is in the Krista Makes a Podcast 
Facebook group. Please head over there and uh, join us with over 4,500 members. It is awesome. It is constantly, constantly alive over there. So go join that and give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D if you already haven't. And I want to thank this week's guest, Neil Sanderson, for sitting with us. And we'll see you next week. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.